Hi, everyone. My name is Jeffrey Smith, and I'm the founding executive director of the Institute for Responsible Technology. And I have been doing this work for 25 years, and there's just a few of us that go back long enough to talk about the good old days, but also to understand what's happening today in the context of the history of GMOs and organic and Monsanto, et cetera. And one of those people is Ken Roseborough. Ken, welcome once again to Facebook Live. I so value your opinion. Why don't you introduce, usually I introduce you, but why don't you share what you're doing and the introduction of that new newsletter, et cetera. Sure. Thank you, Jeffrey. It's great to be here with you again. Um, yeah, we've known each other for many years now, in the, the GMO, GMO wars. So I'm the editor and publisher of the Organic and Non-GMO Report magazine. Um, we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year, and um, we focus on markets for organic and non-GMO foods and tracking the the GMO trends, I mean, the GMO issue and the problems with that and pesticides and, and the good stuff, the, the good things that are happening with organic and non-GMO foods and those trends, regenerative agriculture. So we also published a directory called the Non-GMO Sourcebook. It's the world's only farm-to-fork directory of non-GMO seeds, grains, ingredients, and food products. And that's also in its 20th year. Yeah. And um, if people want to follow you, if they want to get, you know, you have a very big Facebook page. Um, tell, tell us how people can follow your work before we dive into the good news today. Yeah, you can follow us on Facebook. Um, Organic and Non-GMO Report is our Facebook page. We have a Twitter feed also, which is um, at Non-GMO Report. And also LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, it's my own personal LinkedIn page. I post news there as well. Um, yeah, so, and then our website is www.non-gmoreport.com. Uh, we're, we're in the process of putting up a new website so you'll be able to see our, see our new website. And there's lots of articles we've published over the years that are archived on our website. So there's a lot of, a lot of good information about the organic and non-GMO world. Um, and I have to say, Ken, you are unique in our world. There's no one that does the kind of reporting that you do. Um, there are certain things that you uh, reveal, expose, and um, dis disseminate that no one else in the world does. Mm -hmm. And that's one reason why I keep sending you emails and saying, ready for another Facebook Live? Ready for another <laughs> Facebook Live? Because I am subscribed to your newsletter online and I get and I see your non-GMO uh, physical um, magazine in our nearby natural product store, Good Earth. So I'm, oh, yes. I'm, I'm following you all the time. So <laughs> I'm just trying to catch up with you. And when you have time, I grab you. And now one of those times is today. So yeah. now I've told people that there's really great news, really exciting news to share. And there's actually a list. So let's go to the top of the list. You and I were back, you know, 1999, 2000, battling the GMOs, which were primarily Roundup Ready and BT Toxin. And there was some, you know, Liberty Link, et cetera, but not much else. Now, what's the news about the fate of these original GMOs, which have occupied millions of acres for these two, dec these two or three decades? Well, um, Jeffrey, I... It's interesting you should ask me that because I, I wrote a, uh, an editorial recently. It was in Acres USA magazine, and I posted it in our, in our newsletter, Organic and Non-GMO Insights Newsletter, that I see the com coming obsolescence of, of GMO seeds, that the, um, the herbicide-tolerant traits like Roundup Ready, um, weeds are becoming resistant to, to Roundup. So its effectiveness is, is uh, very reduced right now. And the, the biotech industry's solution is to come up with new GMOs that are tolerant to older herbicides like dicamba, which is a disaster. 
um, dicamba drifts. It, it turns from a liquid to a gas and drifts for miles and can damage other crops and farms. And millions of acres have been damaged by dicamba. And there's lawsuits to overturn the approval of that. So it's just a pesticide treadmill that that the biotech companies, the, the pesticide companies have put farmers on. And I, it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. And in fact, the growing trend in agriculture is regenerative, regenerative agriculture. Farmers that are using practices like no tillage or reduced tillage and cover crops, diverse crop rotations, um, things like that. And in interviewing a bunch of these farmers who are, who are using these practices, they say they don't need the GMO seeds. They don't need these GMO traits. So, um, and they just stop using them. So I think this is one, this is one way that I think these older GMOs like Roundup Ready soybeans and BT corn are going to be become obsolete because farmers won't need them anymore. So, so this is actually, uh, I reported um, on a Facebook Live some time ago that because of the resistance by the bugs to yeah. the insecticide built into the corn, the EPA was recommending the non-registration withdrawal withdrawal of nearly all BT toxin-producing GMOs. I mean, it was amazing. It was like, I don't know the numbers, but maybe you have it handy. It was like 40 out of 41 or something. Yeah. There was going to be basically one left because they had a, a type of poison that hadn't yet been outwitted by the pests. And that was amazing. And now the weeds also are outwitting Monsanto slash bear. And so their efforts to kill using either chemicals or a bioagent within the corn and cotton and in South America within soy, that is being overturned by nature herself. So does this mean, Ken, that all the work that you and I have done for the last 20 or 30 years, we could have just sat home and waited for the whole thing to unravel by itself? <laughs> <laughs> I guess we could have, but I think we had to work. We had to work to, to, uh, to overcome it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you're right with the BT that, the same thing. Nature adapts, you know, that's it. These biotech companies, they're in, in it for short-term profit. And it's very, their, their approaches with the GMOs are short-sighted. And you know, as you well know, the technology is fraught with risks and hazards and, and consumers don't want them. People don't want to eat foods with GMOs in, which is why we see the tremendous growth of the non-GMO market and the non-GMO project uh, oh, yeah. verified products. Yeah. Totally. And I know you and I both um, just disseminate that information, promote non-GMO verified as yeah. something that's valuable. Yeah. So there's there's a, a farmer, um, I may have mentioned it before, his name is Rick Clark. He's in Indiana and he grows non-GMO corn for, for Dannon's non-GMO yogurt program. And I've interviewed him a few times. And he's one of these regenerative farmers who's adopted these regenerative practices and he got rid of GMOs years ago. He just says, and another, he and another farm, similar farmer said, I'd rather work with mother nature than to try to play God with <laughs> GMOs, you know, and this uh, Rick Clark has 7,000 acres and he's basically, he's con now he's converting the whole thing to organic because he, as he became regenerative, he's reducing the number of, of the pesticides and the synthetic fertilizers he was using. And then until he got to none, he was not using any. So he just figured, well, I might as well just go organic. Right, so, right. so some of, some of the, these farmers are doing that. So it's, and they, these farmers are becoming very influential. They're in demand at speaking engagements and talking to other farmers. So, so that's, that's the trend. It's a very positive trend. This whole region. And we're going we're gonna to talk to what's happening in Mexico, what's happening in India, an unlikely partnership with Rodale and Cargill in terms of an investigation going on. And uh, we'll talk about those things in just a minute. But for those that may not be aware of why regenerative is the new word, it's the new thing. It's the new thing. One of the issues is that when you 
regenerate the soil with proper microbial activity and it builds carbon in the soil instead of killing everything with you know the ammonium nitrate or whatever they do in the in the farms to kill everything and then just add three nutrients and then grow from the dirt rather than the rich soil when you build the soil it pulls carbon out of the atmosphere most of the excess carbon in the air comes from the earth this is a way to siphon pull it in to the earth now I have understood that there's belief based on research that's been going on in some smaller acres that if you do it right and you take a large enough swath of current agriculture without having to introduce new agriculture and turn it into carbon sequestering regenerative agriculture, you could suck down 100% of all the excess carbon and that would solve the problem of excess carbon that is the driver of climate change. Is that what you've heard? Yes, it is. Uh, yeah, the Rodale Institute published a study saying that exactly that that with these regenerative methods, they you know they support the regenerative organic methods um, that you could sequester 100% of the carbon that's in the atmosphere. So that's a big um, a big solution that is being promoted um, of regenerative agriculture. It's ability to mitigate climate change and that's why that's why our leaders our current leaders uh the current administration president biden and ag secretary vilsack are trying to promote these regenerative practices and they're talking about having farmers being paid to sequester carbon that companies um there and that's already it's already started to happen there are companies who are paying farmers to sequester carbon, uh, wow. carbon. Yeah. yeah, there are some controversies about that, but yeah, it's a big thing. And there was a, a study that just came out that found, they looked at um, soil in the Midwest and uh, the scientists found that as much as one third, possibly more of the topsoil in the Corn Belt, the Midwestern states is gone, it's gone as much as one third of the topsoil. So this underscores the need for these regenerative methods that help to build the soil back. So it's a very, it's an urgent need to do that, yeah. I think, well, before we go on to the good news from our neighbors in the South in Mexico, which is very good news, I just wanna say that, you know, uh, there's a bumper sticker or a sign that says eat organic what our grandparents call eat organic food what our grandparents called food <laughs> because, <laughs> right. so, you talked about the qualities of regenerative agriculture you know cover crops and proper rotations like isn't that how they used to do it see now yeah, now exactly. it's the new regenerative agriculture but it actually this is the wisdom of the ages yeah. that was destroyed and you can destroy the wisdom of the ages in agriculture in one or two growing seasons and especially if you implement it for a generation then the farmers who knew the old ways die off and the new ones just realize just believe that farming is applying chemicals so yes. this is this is basically a validation of the early understanding of organic and soil building and just to give the the final note to this loss of topsoil, it does not take millions of years to build topsoil. You can, mm -hmm. with the proper um, inputs, you can build soil. Now, it used to be that you'd have the animals on the farm with the, the crops and you'd have the manure and you'd have a whole program to right. build the soil in this cycle. Now, almost all farms the grains and beans are grown in one farm and the crops are, and the animals are raised in another and you don't necessarily have that uh, cross promotion and regeneration between them. But again, it's another way that the old style has proven its resilience and, and sustainability and regenerative nature that um, is being called forth right now to remediate climate change loss of topsoil, low mineral content, and also just the damn, just the terrible state of industrial agriculture today. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So tell us what's happening, what just happened in Mexico. In Mexico, at the end of the year, um, there was a presidential decree that um, Mexico would 
phase out the use of glyphosate herbicide and also GMO corn, um, phase out imports of GMO corn from the United States by 2024. And this is huge um, because Mexico is the US, um, US corn farmers biggest market. And so to lose that market is a big deal. And um, evidently, some of the, um, well, Bayer and their uh, cronies or whatever, and the US government are trying to, are pressuring Mexico to um, not institute this ban because of the, the economic damage to the US. But so far, Mexico is, is sticking to it. Um, the agricultural minister, has said, has said he, he thinks that glyphosate is damaging to soil, it's not good for health. And um, so they're, they're moving ahead. And it's, it's interesting, and they, they plan to replace the, uh, the lost corn because it's like, I forget how many, 16 million bushels or something of, of corn that they would need um, as a result of these lost imports from the U.S., they plan to to grow it domestically. Um, but it's also, I was thinking, and some other people were thinking that this is an opportunity for U.S. farmers to grow non-GMO corn for Mexico um, instead of, you know, saying, "Oh, you can't do this. We're going to sue you. We're going to take you to the World Trade Organization." You know, why don't you say, hey, if you want non-GMO corn, we'll give it to you. You know, it's like business 101. We'll give the customer what he wants, you know. So um, I plan to interview some of the non-GMO grain suppliers in the U.S. to get their take on this, to see, you know, if they could, if this is possible, that they could help to supply Mexico with the, the non-GMO corn that they need. So it's, it's, it's an exciting possibility. And uh, instead of, there was one article I read that said, oh, this is awful, this is terrible for US farmers. What are we gonna do? You know, they can't do, they can't do this, you know, and <laughs> instead of seeing it as an opportunity. So, so it's gonna be interesting to see how this plays out. I hope Mexico sticks to it. So the, what, where Ken and I come from, we used to work at a GMO detection laboratory, and we're aware that when uh, unapproved varieties of GM corn, for example, or rice were found in U.S. grain supplies, then foreign import markets shut down to the U.S. And this caused a tremendous chaos and loss of dollars and lawsuits Starling corn, more than a billion dollars of losses, other things like that. And it, it made it very clear that foreign export markets can dictate U.S. agricultural policy. Even if the, the current administration is driving forward with GMOs, if Secretary Vilsack, former Biotech governor of the year by the Biotech right. you know, organization, um, they, they are pro-GMO. But if our major export markets say no, then there is a huge risk to continuing to grow the unapproved varieties or to, to try and send contaminated shiploads to places that could be turned around, like they've turned around in Japan and China and different places. But yeah. it turns out Mexico is nearby. And you know one of the one of the grain dealers that I've spoken with, Lynn Clarkson. I know you know him well. Yeah, yeah. Um, he talked about he knows the the logistics of shipping stuff to the, to uh, all over the world. And if you think about it, how do you get stuff to Mexico? Well, there's the Mississippi River, which yeah. is right down the the corridor of all the soy and corn. Well, in this case, the corn and the corn belt. You can put stuff on barges there, send it right into the Gulf of Mexico, deliver it to Mexico, and go from farm to um, market yeah. without having to put it into the common elevators, the grain elevators, which mix, which is the risk. So there's an advantage to farmers, and then there's also a locational advantage where certain ones near the, the 
Mississippi and other places that are close to Mexico and have a gateway there could have a bonanza. Um, and also, just to underscore how important U.S. trade policy and this type of thing is to uh, governments, etc. When NAFTA was passed, the U.S. was able to sell corn to Mexico below the cost of Mexican production. Mm -hmm. So Mexico was producing tons of, literally tons of corn for their own consumption. They have a huge in, uh, consumption of corn each day. I forget yeah. the percentage. I just read it recently. It was very high. When the U.S. started to export below the price of production because of NAFTA, they, the imports went from 2 million metric tons to 6. And I understand, and this number may be wrong because it was astounding to me, 2 million corn-growing farmers went out of business. Mm. Then a lot of them actually came to the U.S. for work. Mm. So the whole immigration, the economy, mm. everything was affected by these trade policies. And now that they're shutting off GMO corn, then not only does it provide a boon for U.S. non-GMO corn growers, but it also can help restore some of the farms that were lost because of NAFTA, which can drive better economies there. And the corn that's grown from the traditional varieties in Mexico has higher nutrition content. It's better for health than the standard hybridized types that are available in the United States. Mm. Uh, and so it also will reduce the uh, level of contamination of the indigenous corn varieties in Mexico, which is the source of, of corn genetics. I mean, yeah. in, in looking through the lens of, that you and I have been for 25 years, there's so many things that are related to it. And one thing yeah. is this, you, met, you said something which was probably lost on most people. You said the Ministry of Agriculture, the Minister of Agriculture said that these things are dangerous. It is extremely rare around the world for anyone in any ministry of agriculture, especially a minister, to say anything against GMOs or the biotech industry or the, the herbicide, pesticide producers. They are usually the captured regulatory agencies, the captured uh, ministry. I've been to 45 countries. I've seen it over and over again. Yeah. And there was tremendous pressure on Mexico. There was right of Freedom of Information uh, Acts came pouring out with evidence showing that Bear Monsanto was putting pressure on Mexico and they were confident they could overturn it and it was just confirmed by the Mexican government. So this is yeah. a huge victory with ramifications around the world. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, corn is, that's Mexico's life. You know, they, people in Mexico eat corn tortillas and and other foods every day and, and like you said it's a center of corn diversity i don't know how many varieties of corn have come from mexico so they want to they want to protect that resource it's a precious resource and gmos are just a threat a huge threat you know remember in back in 2001 ignacio chapella found gmo contamination in remote region of mexico so so yeah, it's great that they're doing this, and great that they're taking this stand and and to produce their own non-GMO corn. Yeah, and they kicked out Roundup, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. also big. Yeah, yeah. Let's move over to India. Now, there's interesting news from India. There was um, both an organic side and the non-GMO side. Let's start with the organic side and then move to the the non-GMO side, the organic certifying situation in or in India. Oh yeah, well the um, the National Organic Program has had what's called an organic recognition program with India um, for many years. That um, that companies can Indian companies can export things to the U.S. And they'll be certified by this Indian, um, I think it's a food standards agency or something through them. But the National Organic Program, the USDA's National Organic Program, recently ended that organic recognition program. So now companies in India that want to export to the U.S. have to be certified according to the National Organic Program rules. So we'll have to go through an accredited 
um, NOP, National Organic Program Certifier, in order to sell to the U.S. And it's, it makes sense because there have been concerns about fraud with um, organic products coming from other countries. Um, there was even a, a situation where there was some uh, cotton that came from India that was fraudulently um, labeled as organic. And that may have um, stimulated this whole um, ending of this organic recognition program with India. So, yeah, so okay. the Indian companies are gonna have to get uh, certified through the USDA's National Organic Program now. What this means, I'm going to interpret it for consumers who are worried about the source of their organic foods. What this means is that an organic product from India will have more power behind it now than before. Yeah. There'll be more confidence. No one can say there's 100% uh, safety in anything grown anywhere that says organic. That's just the nature of nature and how yeah. things work. But people can have more confidence going forward in things that are certified organic from India than in the past because yeah. it's going to require uh, standards from U.S. certifiers, which are more, which are aligned with, of course, what's happening in the United States. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's. Um, it's interesting. I found out. Well, a company in India contacted me, Nature Biofoods, and I wrote an article about them recently. And and they're very committed to to integrity, organic integrity. They have multiple certifications. They even have um, biodynamic certifications and. So they they just they work with sixty thousand farmers in India. I've I heard of them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. India has there's there's something like three million organic farmers in the world. In the world, oh. India has one third of them. Has <laughs> a million of them. Oh. So yeah, this company they they seem like they're they have a lot of integrity and they you know they're doing things right and want to and assure I'll, people that i'll give a shout out to my friends at organic india too they're they have yeah. amazing integrity yeah. they build like lead certified building they're just they have such an, inten an intense focus on building the economy and the life of the people who grow for them it's 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 like a nonprofit that happens to make profit it's just right. it's amazing i know that yeah I've talked to their to their executive teams many times. Yeah, so, they're a great company. This company, Nature Biofoods, is doing the same thing. Fantastic! I should helping probably, villages, you know, putting money infrastructure into villages and things. I yeah. should talk to them too. Yeah, yeah, great. Um, but India has another thing which also works in our advantage now. Um, they have a new requirement for imports. Yeah, they um, India now requires non-GMO certification of um, food imports into India. Um, I know it, it applies to fruits and vegetables produce. It may apply to other foods also. So any companies, any businesses that want to export to India to sell to India, they have to get a non-GMO certification um, assuring that their product is, is non-GMO. And just recently I found out that, in fact, yesterday, that apples coming from the U.S. from Washington State have been shut out of the Indian market because they're not providing the, the non-GMO certificates that India requires. Um, the USDA is not is not giving these providing these certificates. Um, I know that the U.S. a few months ago was putting pressure on India, as they tend to do with Mexico and um to um you know persuade them to not require these certificates but like mexico india said no we're going to require these certificates so the apple producers in washington it's a shame um there was a quote from somebody at the fruit growers association in washington state who said you know we're, we're losing i think india was their 12th biggest biggest market for for washington apples so they've lost that market because... So this is interesting because there's a pain point with the apple growers in Washington. And we as activists and educators and advocates have tried to 
motivate and enlist the support of the conventional growers of certain species that are being introduced as GMO. It's because we say, if you allow a GMO to be introduced into your Apple marketplace, you could suffer even if you are a non-GMO apple grower because you may lose export markets. That's happened all over the world. You know, there's been countries that refuse to take any canola from Canada or even any honey from Canada because of the the pollen that comes from the canola uh, grains. Corn in corn in Europe. Europe doesn't buy U.S. corn. Yeah, and the thing is, the entire marketplace was is is knocked out. And they and with the grains, they won't. In many cases, they won't even take. They won't even bother with the non-GMO. In India, they're saying, if you just make sure it says non-GMO. Yeah. To make it non-GMO costs the non-GMO certifying company, the company that's saying, okay, this verifies it's non-GMO, costs them money. Yeah. They have to have a documentation review and an online inspection, and they have to look at all that. It costs them money. So we one of the good news pieces for the pain points of the farmers is it demonstrates to farmers and to markets around the United States, that if they allow genetically engineered wheat or anything, you know, anything into the marketplace, the non-GMO farmers can suffer. And so this is an example. And so my hope is that the non-GMO apple farmers stop the commercialization or work against somehow the commercialization of the genetically engineered apple, which is engineered to not turn brown when you slice yeah. it yeah yeah and this is sold as pre-sliced apples you can buy them on amazon they don't say that they're gmo right don't the arctic pre-sliced yeah. apples arctic apples there's two two varieties there's a granny smith and a golden delicious yeah and the fruit growers in in washington were upset because india only buys the red delicious apples and there's no gmo red delicious apples but but still, the fact that there's these GMO apples, um, you know, cast doubts on <laughs> the non-GMO status of apples from the U.S. Yeah, so. there was a, a rumor that genetically engineered papayas were stolen from a Thai field trial 20 years ago, and Europe closed its doors to all Thai papaya mm. from the rumor. Wow. Um, so yeah. it's it has a serious impact. I mean... I tried to convince the Australian state governments to, to not lift the moratorium on genetically engineered canola, warning them that they would lose their premium, warning them that they would be shut out of certain markets. And sure enough, they didn't. They didn't. They, the the states that had decided to lift the moratorium refused to have me. Refused to meet with me. Everyone else, all the other states, I met with their ministers of agriculture and whatnot. But those that already made up their mind, and some of them were actually financially benefited from lifting the the moratorium. Yeah. It was a disaster, an yeah. absolute disaster. It was ex- everything we predicted happened. And I was, remember being on the on a plane with someone from Australia, a farmer, two years later, he says, yeah, I just saw a big mountain of canola sitting in the field for two years because no one wants it because it's genetically engineered. Anyway, so yeah. let's talk about, I mentioned the cargill Rodale Institute combination. I'm going to lead you into this one, okay? People, you know, when I was saying we can convert the food supply back to non-GMO, people were saying, but there's but there's like 90% of the, this was years ago, 90% of the soy, 90% of the corn, it's already GMO. How are you going to reverse the trend? You're telling people to go for non-GMO, but how are we going to change it? And I said, you know who will be our friends here? Cargill and ADM. They went, what? <laughs> yeah, right, right. And, I, and I said, no, 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 you don't understand. If we can provide the demand they're the middlemen, middle women that handle the market making. They yeah. will make sure that they deliver to meet the needs. Right. And so if we can have a strong enough demand, they, you know, if you buy, if you buy it, they, it will come. And yeah. so yeah. You, I remember looking at the Cargill booth at the Anaheim Expo West Natural Food Conference convention that you and I go to every year, and there was a button being handed out to Cargill with non-GMO Cargill. 
You know, yeah. they had forty <laughs> different, they had forty varieties of non-GMO. Nineteen of them had been at the time certified or verified by the non-GMO project, right. and they were they were like, sure, we not take a position ourselves. We just meet the customer demand. So now, wrote they're like the big conglomerate, the biggest private uh, company maybe in the world, certainly yeah. maybe in the United States, right. and they um, they're one they're hated by a lot of uh, activists for their damage to this and damage to that, but they happen to be working on behalf of the non-GMO uh, community to get them non-GMO. Now, okay. Rodale is, is the, one of the most revered uh, institutes for studying organic and for promoting organic. So now how, what brings Rodale and Cargill together? <laughs> yeah, you could say it's, a, it's an interesting mix, an odd couple of the two. Well, there's, a, there's an organic poultry producer in Pennsylvania, Bella Nevins, uh -huh. and they've been producing organic chickens. And, um, and it's interesting, I, I spoke with the, the owner of the company, it's a family-owned business in, in Pennsylvania. And Scott Seckler, his name is, and he told me they're committed to buying only U.S. grains. They have to buy organic corn and soybeans for feed for the chickens. So, um, and he won't buy imports because he's concerned about the organic integrity of imports, which as we know, there, are, there have been problems with, with imports. Um, so, and he sees that his his demand for his chickens are rising and his availability of feed is is getting tighter so he um bell and evans has launched an initiative to convert transition fifty thousand acres of land to organic production in the u.s in the mid in pennsylvania and in the midwest and this is huge and and they've they've asked uh, Bell and Evans has worked with Rodale for several years. Um, Rodale has established an organic consulting um, part of their institute um, crop consulting group. They got they actually got funding from the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture to do this. So they've been working with Bell and Evans, and Bell and Evans has also been working with Cargill. They've been buying organic feed from a, uh, from a Cargill mill that's certified organic in Pennsylvania. So, um, so Bell and Evans has put the two together. So Cargill is going to help with the transition. They're going to work with the farmers. Um, they'll be able to, one of the concerns with these projects of transition acres is that the farmers have to find markets for their transitional grains. They have, it takes three years to transition to organic. And in that three years, they have to get, find markets for those grains. So Cargill is going to help with that. And they also have to grow, organic farmers have to grow crops in rotation so they can grow corn one year, but then they have to grow other things like a small grain like oats or alfalfa or something like that. So Cargill is going to help them find markets for that because they're huge, like you said, they're huge and they have connections everywhere, you know, to, to all these specialty markets. So, and then Rodale is going to consult. They're going to provide their consulting uh, services to these farmers that are transitioning to help them with the transition, um, to be there for it. I, I spoke with the head of the, their crop consulting division who said that, you know, the Organic uh, farmer, transitional farmers have challenges like with weeds. How are they going to deal with weeds and and following the organic rules? So Rodale is just going to be there, and and so this initiative is going is being launched. And according to someone I spoke with at Rodale, there's they're getting calls from conventional farmers who who want to do this. Fantastic. So um, so it's great, and it's. It's interesting, you've always talked about the tipping point with the GMO issue. I think we may, <laughs> we may see a tipping point with organic acres because some of these big companies have launched significant initiatives to transition acres. General Mills did it. Well, General Mills ago. went to regenerative. They went to a million acres of regenerative oral processing. Did they go yeah. to organic too? 
they before the regenerative commitment they 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 committed to doubling their their organic acres wow and one example they have a farm in um south dakota that's at thirty four thousand acres and they just transitioned that to organic wow. um there's also ardent mills which is the largest flour miller in the flour miller in the u.s they've committed to doubling their organic wheat acres um anheuser-busch you probably heard about that the beer yes. maker they're they're transitioning i don't know how much land to organic for organic barley so so there's a bunch of these initiatives i mean in europe they've committed to 25 to 30 percent of their land to be organic and in the u.s it's just one percent of our farmland is organic but i could see i could see this if this continues that um, the u.s could be it could go to 25 or 30 percent organic acreage also and you know something you're going to play a much bigger role in that than almost anyone. And I'm going to explain why I, I predict this to be true. One of the reasons why farmers were not leaving the industrial agricultural model for so many years is that the information that they were getting was cooked by mm -hmm. the biotech industry before it came to them. Yeah. The, the farm radio and the farm journals received their advertising dollars from the biotech industry, Monsanto, et cetera, and could not, could not afford to say anything that wasn't the talking points of their masters. I had one person say to me after I gave a lecture, oh, I write for farm journals and I loved your lecture and I'd like to figure out how I can do a story on what you're doing for some other journal. I said, why don't you do it for farm journals? He says, oh, they would never let me. The major yeah. advertisers would never yeah. let me. The land, the land grant universities that have the agricultural extension agents that visit the farmers, they're run in part by the biotech industry. They have, they receive research dollars. They have, uh, there's a lot of influence on purpose. USDA is driven by big ag in yeah. so many ways that, yeah. and they actually minimize the role of organic. So when you try and get information out about a farmer who switches to non-GMO or organic and notices a benefit, there's already, because of the disinformation that was so successfully delivered, there's an immediate shunning and disbelief. Yeah. So I've spoken to farmers that switch to non-GMO for their pigs or cows, the animals get healthier, they use two thirds or 75% less um, uh, inoculations and antibiotics and things. They have, the death rate is astoundingly different. There was one one split farm where they had 400 deaths in one nursery and no none in another and they went to market more quickly in the non-gmo and and the ones that had gmo they were dying etc etc i mean these were this information would normally if it got into the popular press would cause huge numbers to convert or at least experiment right, right. but there's been a lockdown in the media in the farm media and in the mainstream media to allow the benefits of organic and non-GMO and regenerative to get out to the mainstream. Yeah. If these main companies like General Mills and Cargill with data from Rodale and others and excited farmers who made the conversion because they had to but weren't necessarily sold out until they saw the numbers, if they can get the information out and it's picked up by other farmers, that's the tipping point. Yeah. When they hear so many pig farmers saying, you've got to get your pigs on non-GMO, so many uh, cow, cow dairy farmers the same, when they see, hear the higher rates of return, you know, the return, the lower inputs, the, the all of that, when they hear those numbers and they yeah. can and you can get it out to them, right. that will be the tipping point. Now you're the man in this world that's talking to those farmers more than anyone. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to ask you to continue to try something you may not have tried before. And that is to try to syndicate or offer your articles to a list of farm journals. Just mm. send it out there. They may say no every single month. 
But if someone says yes and a farm journal is willing to pick it up, and it could be a finished article or it could simply be a, a proposal saying I have a uh, there's a farmer who made this transition that has these data. Would you like an article about it? Because if you just keep knocking at that door and it, and they actually hire you to produce the article, it will be real. It won't be a biotech industry, um, you know, pseudo writer trying yeah. to trying to denounce the efforts of anyone going to non-GMO because that's what they do. They're paid to do that. Right, so right. You could get your information out through the, the first available channels through the, and the thing is the best farm journals are those that are not, are not already in the GMO species. Like the, the, the apples may be a good choice now, but you know, if there's a group that's trying to go GMO, like if they're introducing a new GMO, like right now there's a, Pineapple. There's a GMO pineapple. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. The pink pineapple for forty nine dollars line for per pineapple. Don't eat it. Um, yeah. So I'm just saying that you're you are in a situation where you can like we were giving the information to consumers. The Institute for Responsible Technology. We are very very responsible for a large amount of the tipping point that's already underway among consumers. Yeah. That's happening. Okay. I know that that's the case. I traveled gave lectures, you know, a thousand lectures. I saw what we did. You are perfectly situated. So I will be happy to promote the farm successes through our channels. Oh, okay. So it circulates in social media too. If you have a farmer that made the transition that got better, and I'm speaking to everyone listening too, if you see, if you see a report from Ken, so get on his Facebook page, be, like it, get his his information or if you see one of our interviews and it's about farmers making more money on a non-gmo yeah. or organic or regenerative basis circulate that to all the non-farmers you know and the farmers you know because that if it can get recognized if there's an idea virus that can get established then you have the tipping point of information knowledge has organizing power then the farmers are going to go like, oh, yeah, I've heard about that. It's not some harebrained Luddite hippie idea. I've heard that farmers like me are making more money. Now I'm interested. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Contacting these farm journals because there's a lot of them out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you need any assistance with that, I wish I had more staff to throw in your direction. <laughs> yeah. I wish I could say... And I'll, 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 I'll help you do the research. I'll put the list together. I'll do it. I can't. I've got my hands full on, on protecting the, the global microbiome from genetically engineered releases in this generation. So I've got a different focus. Yeah. I wish I had the ability to just say, here, Ken, take it. <laughs> yes, it's a good idea. I mean, the, yeah. is, the leverage of your information is, could be historic in its impact. Yeah. Absolutely historic. Yeah, I, I made a connection with Acres, although that's kind of preaching with a choir. It's an organic farming magazine, so I've written some, written this um, this op-ed about the obsolescence of GMO seeds for them. So, but yeah, I could send it to some other places that might <laughs> cause a stir. I would think. <laughs> yes, absolutely, and, and put them on your list and say I'm submitting this for a thing, or I can do a custom version for you. I yeah, can do a custom interview of the farmer for you. Keep sending it at a certain point, especially when there's money to be made by the farmers, and That's the a... influence of the biotech industry advertising dollars starts to wane. There's going to be a a balance. They're going to weigh it. They're going to weigh it, and then they may just try. Yeah, right. See what happens. Right. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. That would be great. Well, right. we're headed in that direction. Watching, saw this first. It was birthed here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're heading in the right direction. That's what I. That's we what are. I, yeah. Your knowledge, your news has been great. Is there anything else you want to share before we go? Um, no, that's about it. I think we're just. Uh, yeah. That's lots of uh, lots of good things happening. Yeah, with Spell and Evans thing, it's uh, it's pretty exciting. Acres. Chicken. I've interviewed chicken farmers who switched to non-GMO and the chickens got healthier. Yeah. I've interviewed chicken farmers who the chickens, when given a choice, would choose the non-GMO versus the GMO. Yeah. Uh, the, oh, yeah. Yeah. There's another thing. It just happened last week with Rodale. There's a lot going on with Rodale. Um, uh, the giant company, which is a major retailer, 
yes. in the East Coast, giant supermarkets, they're, um, they're supporting Rodale, Rodale's efforts. Whoa. They just announced an initiative to support their efforts, particularly their crop consulting services. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, major retailers. Well, as, you, as you know, like in Europe, the retailers have huge power. I know. And we've, we've always tried to, you know, to get the retailers to do something. And now with this, they're going to Rodale, you know, saying we're, we're supporting your efforts. It's just, you know. Is this our world? Is this the world? That, I mean, this is amazing. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. And this is really exciting news. Please, everyone, share this interview with people. Um, it's it's long. We took we take time, but, you know, it's, it's also going to be available as my part of my podcast. It's going to be a podcast. Well, to get a po my podcast, go to livehealthybewell.com or just subscribe to it wherever you get your podcast live healthy be well you'll get this interview so you can listen and you can pass it on people will listen more to podcasts for the, the whole way through because it's while they're doing something else yeah right Facebook. yeah makes sense yeah yeah all right so um, let me just check to see if anyone on the facebook page is is wanting to comment here susan says yeah the fda epa and usda need to start working for we the people not the highest bidders our government is not serving us. And she also said, glad to hear Biden is going to help us. And then Rock Duffy uh, applauded for Mexico, and I do too. Great. I mean, it's like finally you have some major, major country standing up to the, to the United States bullying. It's yeah. just fantastic. Yeah. yeah. All right, everyone. This also demonstrates that our efforts are working. Um, you know, when I started... Uh, activism in 1996, um, the response to almost anything I said was, what's a GMO? <laughs> and now 48% of the world's population believe that GMO foods are unsafe, 51% of the U.S. population, and we have more than we need to drive the market of consumers. And now Ken, who is a 21 or two-year veteran in this is helping to drive the entire supply chain, has been for 22 years, and now is talking about a tipping point in organic. So this is very exciting, and I'm so excited to bring you, Ken, to our community once again. Oh, it's great to be here, Jeffrey. Always good seeing you and sharing information. All right, safe eating, everyone. Thank you for listening to Live Healthy, Be Well. Please subscribe to the podcast using whatever app you listen to podcasts with. Or go to livehealthybewell.com to subscribe. This podcast will inform you about health dangers, corporate and government corruption, and ways we can protect ourselves, our families, and our planet. I interview scientists, experts, authors, whistleblowers, and many people who have not shared their information with the world until now. Please share the podcast with your friends. It will enlighten and may even save lives. Safe eating.